0: Welcome to Upthinking Finance, a podcast that offers a unique and discerning view of economics and financial planning. Here is your host, Emerson Fersh.
1: Welcome back to another edition of Upthinking Finance. I'm Emerson Fersh. Welcome back to Upthinking Finance and welcome to part two of my interview with Reverend Dale Allen Hoffman. This is the fine line, whether it's perception, expectation, but we live in a world, as you know, and I mean, Pew Research does these studies and clearly the trust in institutions continues to go down, whether it's news, religion, government, corporate, whatever. And so I think there is a portion of all of us who are looking for to be able to trust to be able to really know that our money's going somewhere, let's say, we'll use that, it's always about the money, I'm, I'm thinking finance, but the money's going somewhere that's actually doing some good. And again, we've all been jaded. I mean, you get these images of these famous TV guys are espousing this stuff. I served in leadership positions in our church, and I remember people having conversations where they were trying to make this decision, what you're talking about. They want to pay their tithing. They want to be worthy in the eyes of God. Yet they're having to make real life sacrifices of whether it's paying rent, these things. I mean, these are decisions, food and I have to say, I don't see Christ in any of that. I don't see that Jesus would put people in a position to make those kind of choices. And so I get what you're dealing with because on one hand, there's a responsibility. I mean, you've obviously been called, I mean, seven years old. I can tell you one thing, I wasn't reading Bibles or studying scripture. I mean, I didn't start doing that till I was probably in my late twenties, early thirties, I guess, but so you're called. And yet we live on this world, like you said, where we've got needs, we've got responsibilities with family. It just seems like it's a real difficult line to walk on without somebody thinking you're not being true. And so that's, I guess, the point is, how do you know you're aligned
2: with yourself? I guess, is that a good way to put it? Yeah, it's a moment, it's a now experience. And every now feels a little different. And you know what's interesting? Like if I am speaking or doing something like that, and I feel like I'm starting to puff at all, like puff out, I mean, everybody's gonna puff out. You're a human being, you're flawed in the physical sense. It's weird. I have a third beatitude exercise that I do, which sounds crazy, and people will laugh at it. But the third beatitude, Tuvehun <speaking in> ibaruch <Hebrew> How did I do that? I just went from the first Tuvehun ner la Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, that word doesn't mean meek as in shrink back as much as it means humility, which is an opening. Humility comes from that Latin root humus. It's that layer of earth that's dark and rich and air and water can flow very well through it. Now, intriguingly, what I do, and I know this sounds weird, maybe, but I'm very earthy in that sense. I actually imagine, bring into my mind's eye the smell of dirt. I know this sounds wild. The smell of earth to kind of remind me, you've got your castles in the air. Was it Thoreau? Now put foundations under them. To me, it's a nonstop, never go, you know, I don't want to say never goes away. It's not threatening, but it's a very moment to moment experience. And I'm constantly catching myself, if you could even call it that, seeing myself being a little fake here and there. And I think the reason I can say that is because I'm more hypervigilant of it. And I'm not saying there's something wrong about people that are totally and completely fake in the world. I'm just saying, for me, I'm entertained by them. For me, it's just an interesting thing where like, it can be exhausting. I'll be honest. I seek to make the person I was yesterday look like an idiot, not necessarily... Literally, but so that I never nail my furniture to the floor if it's a belief. I never say this is exactly what happened because the fact is we don't know who wrote these. We don't know where they come from. Nobody was standing behind Jesus with a dictaphone. People don't like talking about that. But to me, it's like that is about it's, I'm constantly aware of the rise and fall of my breath and doing what I can. There's a lot of times that I'll actually write a post, like for social media, and I'm like, this is a little too much this or something. And then I'll just let it sit there without publishing it and delete it. Or I'll publish it and then delete it. I can't do anything about what people think about me. It's not that. I just feel revolted by putting something that doesn't feel authentic to me. And it's funny, like I'm in that place now where it took me decades. If I was presented with some kind of whatever, I've turned down big publishing offers when my first book came out, one in particular with a huge company. Because I realized I was going to be gone from home even more, but I don't think I could have handled it then. Now I'm at this place where it's like, I see what it is I'm looking to put into the world. I'm very interested in collaborating with other people in that. And I'm also really excited at some point soon of being able to have someone who, or even an organization of people similar in the sense, a little different, but similar in the sense of the way AA, I think the reason it's such an authentic organization is that the mothership isn't bloated. It's the heart of the communities. And what's funny about that, that's exactly how the ancient Aramaic cultures were, the clans, so to speak. They're called clans. And the funny thing about the clan or the tribe is that they were a microcosm that was fertile and rich unto itself, connected with other microcosms. And the macrocosm wasn't this homogenized blue. It was all of these, the way you put it, talk about America as a melting pot. I'm like, no, no, we don't want a melting pot. Feed America, kill the Indian. No, 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 no. All that kind of junk. We don't want a melting pot. We want a salad. We want to have those the maintenance of those distinct flavors and textures in there. And that's what's going to contribute to the whole. But right now we're at a place where certainly it doesn't look like a salad. Honestly, a lot of it looks like something was dumped out of a garbage bag that fell off the back of a truck right now. And even in those experiences for me, it takes a lot more energy, but I do what I can to be in that space, to be present in the moment. Sufficient unto now, the present moment are the unripe or overripe experiences, thoughts, because the next moment is going to take care of itself. So the real challenge is just being awake now and looking like even as I'm visioning like a person or organization that can take the work that I'm doing, that I'm stuck in so much sort of administrative stuff. I'd love to be able to just focus on my work so that people that I know that I can look in the eye that can take that out. The ideas are there. I've got fully formed stuff that I've been working on for quite a while and be able to just chill and actually spend more time with my family and things like that. But the thing is, the work is so important that I do whatever I have to do to get it out there as long as it stays authentic.
1: Let me just share with you, and I'm happy to announce this is going to be the first two-part episode of this (laughs) podcast, which is good because 30 episode, 32 and 33. And I know 33 is a cool number. So to your point, I will say, and I've shared this on this podcast with other interviews before, is that there is an element of people who are searching that are seeing, and it's probably been going on for longer because I was kind of a product of the matrix, if you want to call it that, for a long time. And But a people who are, who are realizing that what they're seeing doesn't resonate with what they feel. There's a disconnect. And I've seen how as you're talking, this community has formed itself in my work. And there's comfort. I mean, it's almost like I have a business partner who she's on board too. In fact, she's even got into the business. She's put it in front. And what it's done is it has helped keep us focused on a higher purpose. It's like Darcy, you know her. And she was raised with do what's right, not what's expected. I mean, that's been her life's mantra and I've embraced that. And so there is a way to have the success, but not let it consume you, not let it define you.
2: We sort of, boil things down like I was talking earlier and harden into something that becomes a barrier for the sort of transmission of consciousness or whatever. But that categorization is what helps keep things kind of manageable and moving forward. I'm not walking around, I'll be honest, always 100% completely conscious of the divine. I'll get lost in stuff and there's things that have to be done. And when it gets to the end of the month and it's like, oh, got to pay for the house, got to pay for this, got to pay for that. I'm doing what I can. But it's funny, I, I saw over years that I was actually stopping abundance and I was stopping prosperity because I think instinctively on some level, I think piece of it most people won't admit this a piece of it was I thought I would screw it up but the real part that a lot of people don't like talking about I didn't know if I was worthy of it and that laces itself whatever your beliefs are it's going to lace in whatever product you have whatever it's funny it took me a while to get to the place now where it's like I realize in order to put something out on a bigger level it's going to have to get sort of summed up on some level one of the things I've always had a vision for was like a website where people can come from anywhere and pay nothing, and click, I was whatever, I'm a Southern Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm Episcopalian, I'm Methodist, and throw a Bible verse and get an idea back in a language they would understand of what that really meant in the Aramaic or the Greek, without having to say chakra, or without having to say all these other things that people insert in, including myself. I mean, it's just interesting trying to stay authentic, or you can't try, actually, either you're doing it or you're not. But it creeps in, the other stuff creeps in. There's nothing wrong with massive organizations. They're just, I feel a lot of it has debris that there needs to come more of a focus back to the microcosm within the macrocosm. But that is so much more, honestly, complex, especially in a huge organization that's already there. You're talking about someone who has whatever under their fingertips on some sense of control. And saying, actually, nine-tenths of that now is going to kind of be more within the control of all these, like, ants over here. I don't know. I don't see it happening very easily. But for me, I don't really obsess over that too much of what everybody else is doing for my piece. It's funny. I want to be able to employ my kids. So, like, when things are shipped or all that, they're taken care of. And taken care of well. And they don't have to sort of serve some kind of beast, in a sense. But it's just an interesting moment that you... Contact me because I'm in like literally in this place where I had become conscious enough to realize that I basically was shooting myself in the feet for a very long time because of self worth issues, or I thought maybe it would get too far out of control, or I mean I get death threats. People send me death threats. I do stuff based talking about Mary Magdalene, and I got like one of the examples of the comments the other day was "Stop trying to make a whore into a holy woman," and they're almost all men, of course. And that's funny because when the comments come in like that, the only thing I can really feel or say is, look, and I don't reply to them, social media, oh, I'm going to transform the world in a social media comment. No, I don't even really pay that much attention, but it's hard not to, and it's hard not to take personally. But intriguingly, I do have the awareness that if someone's able to feel or even think those kinds of comments putting down and dumping on another person's work, especially one that's so deeply passionate and heartfelt, then whatever they do believe is obviously BS anyway, belief systems. So I don't care really what they think. So to me, it's like they're giving me a gift of saying, I'm a complete idiot. I'm a complete moron. I have no knowledge of what you're talking about, but I'm totally imbalanced in my life. But here's a comment and I'm going to crap on your page for you. So it's like, thank you. Thank you for showing me that Yeah. It's a complex world. And the way I keep it from being too complex is just paying attention of the present moment.
1: One of my all-time favorite heroes is Robert Kennedy. But he talked about moral courage is a rarer commodity than bravery and battle or intelligence. But it's the one that most people lack in a world that seeks to change. you ever see that movie Moneyball? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. That scene at the end when Billy Bean, Brad Pitt's talking to the guy for the Boston Red Sox, and they're talking about how uh, the game needs to change, and the people that are resistant are the ones that are just hanging on to the old system because it threatens their existence. And I found, I and mean, imagine you would probably agree, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, there are two kinds of people. There are those who seek truth and those who seek to be reassured that what they believe is true. There's people who are searching right now, and I think I know from what Darcy, when she shares the conversations you guys have from your coaching sessions, every time I hear something she shares, it just resonates as truth. I don't. I, this is the first time you and I have talked face to face, so this is just coming from a third person through a filter, and yet it just resonates with what I feel. And I just, like you said, I think you're tapped to the time. Like you said, it's just time go out there. And I feel like in my little finance world, we're doing the same thing. Only company in this country that's offering this model that's run by this guy in Monaco. Thankfully, I work for a firm that's allowed me to do it that we're licensed with. But it's a risk. People think it's voodoo, focus, Ouija board stuff. Yeah, it feels right and it's proven to be something that's beneficial. So I don't know how that fits into all this, but...
2: I literally laid my life down in adoration for bringing this out to people, literally. And it's funny. I mean, I so many other friends of mine that just did the matrix thing, which is great. And they've got like mass amounts of savings and they had a big 401k and you can see them like flying all over the world all the time with their families. I literally occasionally true, apologize to my kids and my wife and say, I'm sorry, I know this is tougher than it needs to be. But I think in some senses, that's really starting to fall away. But what's interesting is whenever it gets bigger in terms of people knowing about it, just looking into the future, all of a sudden more of the nutcases come out. So I'm like, does that mean like if it got really big that we would need security? I don't know, because I get all kinds of crazy stuff. I loved the interview you did with Dallas Seavey, who I've known of for years, and Lance Mackey and like the Idinorod, all of them. But it was great because he spoke of like really paying attention to what's needed in the moment, staying on top of it, paying attention, and also having your eye well ahead, not losing the present moment, well ahead, almost like portioning part of yourself out to be able to keep that eye on what else could happen so that when it does happen... You're paying attention. That's really what mastery is in that sense. I got so much out of that conversation. I actually listened to it twice. Oh, right on. Thank you. I watched it once, listened to it twice. But yeah, and I mean, that's I do what I can to not compare what I'm doing to other spiritual teachers. I definitely don't feel comfortable in the normal Christian church realm. But funny enough, if I go to like a new thought... That's
1: positive, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you.
2: (laughs) But like a new thought or new age churches, like those kinds... Even the ones that claim prosperity or law of attraction, it's funny, they don't really support you. They don't want to pay to advertise your event. They don't want to put you up. They don't want to pay travel expenses. And it's funny, though, when I would speak, the more of a Christian organization it was, usually a splinter, like they were starting to splinter away because there's really not anywhere to go doing similar to what I'm doing in a non-threatening matter. I would go to the more Christian organizations. Funny enough, they would say, bring your family and here's a hotel. We're going to pay for all your meals, all these other things. But I found it interesting that the ones yakking, the ones that were sort of over in this other realm, yakking about prosperity and abundance and all that, there was like this feeling of living up to it. And the one thing I do have to recognize that maybe it's because it's bigger, I don't know. But like when I worked for a lot or, you know, spoke or whatever, presented for more of like a splinter Christian organizations, I feel like there was something like they valued it more. Like I can tell people, look, you can blast the Southern Baptist Church all you want, but if you go into that church and you become essentially a member and you need furniture, they'll find it. You need a job, they'll find it. You need a house, they'll find it, whatever that may be. And you're okay. You're in it. I get it until you leave. And then it gets a little bit different, but there's something to be said for that. That's not happening in a lot of other organizations. For me, though, my focus is, and I can, without running this on too long, just add this one piece here. The word peace, funny, I didn't even think of that. The word peace in Aramaic is shloma, shalom in the Hebrew, of course. It shows up in lots of different places. But intriguingly, we have this idea, this modern Western idea that peace means like a cessation of conflict. Like, there's peace in the Middle East if there's not bullets launching, but that's not what it means intriguingly. Shlama in Aramaic means to embrace the fullness of potential. Colloquially, literally, it means that all of the voices of the community are invited and encouraged to speak at the council fire and are all heard fully. So, it's not a stifling, and I've got a bowl here. It's not stifling, and then we call that peace. No, but rather that there is an open dialogue. People are brought to that table and they are heard. They're not belittled. They're not demeaned. And even like I say this to people all the time, people have this like hippie utopia idea. And I'm like, well, where's Ted Nugent going to live? And everybody goes, ha ha. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. Where's Ted Nugent going to live? And they're like, well, we don't care because he kills animals and I'm a vegan and he collects guns. And I'm like, that's why you're utopia is, I'm sorry, utter and complete BS. And I don't agree with almost anything that flops out of Nugent's mouth. That being said, I will be the first and the last person standing beside him. I don't even want to use defending, but standing up for his right to say whatever the F he wants to. And I don't have to agree with any. of it. I can still coexist in that world with him. And people got their, excuse me, they got their panties in such a wad now. So many people are all bound up and offended by this and offended by that. And they're offended by people before they even say anything. All this garbage going on. And I'm like, all that boils down to not paying attention right now to the present moment. And if we could just do that, pay attention, you'll see, oh, I was thinking that jerky comment before I said it, before they even walked in the room. So maybe in the words of Dr. Michael Rice, if something happens to you 87 different times with 42 different people, who's the only person that was there every time? So I'm willing to do that self-investigation, and I've been doing it for years, watching friends make millions, and I think that's awesome. I'm so happy for them. I gotta be honest, I'm at a point now where it's like the all of the details behind, I'm exhausted, I'm burned out. I would love to be able to just focus on what I'm doing and watch that sort of trumpet out into the world. So that I can create more books, I studied filmmaking so that I can actually create films that educate and entertain. So, anyway.
1: Well, this has been great. I got to end this on one more. If you don't mind diving into another scripture a little bit, I got to share this. This popped into my head, and I'd forgotten about this. One of the wisest <laughs> little comments on money, wealth, whatever, came from a guy in AA meeting, and there's a faction of people that equate. I mean, it's in every organization, I imagine spiritually, where people just don't want to keep going and are comfortable going to their four. And there's nothing wrong with it. Just don't expect everybody else to, right? Go to their four meetings a week and their life starts changing and they start getting stuff. It was a bit of a put down. Well, you know, your priorities aren't messed up. And I remember this guy, I won't break his anonymity, but Nelson C. And I don't even know, I've talked, this is 20 years, 30 years ago, but he he says, money isn't everything, but it's something.
2: That just resonated with me. Yeah. That just fits. That's exactly right. Les Brown says money may be the root of all evil, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. So (laughs) there you go. Les is my icon. Les Brown is like, he was the first one that I went that that. I want to speak like him. He gets on stage and he's just a freaking rock star. He's just amazing. He was my original inspiration to actually speak publicly, which is basically measured insanity because it's like fear number one for humans, but <laughs> it's public Yeah, but speaking. once you
1: get up there and you get line, sometimes, well, anyway, I guess it's, it's an addiction. Depends on it's the awesome. LDS. I love it.
2: There's nothing like it. So
1: let's end with this because this is another one that's very big in the LDS church. And my partner, Amy, actually brought this up this morning. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that they may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So the tithing scripture, Malachi
2: 3.10, what is that really telling us? Well, I will say tithe means tenth. It's literally a word, tenth. This can turn into something just like the word of God, just like all of these different things that we boil them down and they harden into something we're having a relationship with instead of allowing it to stay alive in our hearts, heart, that place where thought and feeling come together. And for me, it's an interesting thing because I've been a member of different churches over the years where the tithing thing is held up in almost like an empowerment sense, and like, look, 10% is an interesting number because it's just enough to make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. Just enough to kind of go, oh, nine. What about nine? 9.9, 9.99, but 10, that's a little too much. I know people that tithe 20%. I'll say one of my mentors was Wayne Dyer. He was like a second father to me for about 15 years when I, in my late teens into my early 30s. And I watched the checks come into his office and 10% immediately went back out as soon as it came in. But it was funny to me because I'm thinking, well, and I wasn't judging him, but like, you're a multimillionaire. What's the big deal there? When I literally, I've been to churches or been to services of all kinds when all I've got in my pocket is change. And it's an interesting thing. For me, it's less about what you're giving. It's less about how much it's supposed to be. It's even less about giving, but rather how you feel in that process is what it should be about. And I've had times when I felt utterly embarrassed to turn my wallet over and dump it into plate. I've had friends that I've seen put a 20 in and take a 10 out. I'm taking change. It's like, oh, I've never seen that in a church before. But intriguingly, I had other times that my heart was open and I did dump my change in there. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, I don't really have a lot to say in terms of pro or con. It's not that much different. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's coming from the Hebrew, actually, from Malachi. but I think people need to find the place for themselves that works, but never do it out of guilt, never do it out of fear, because, and here's the key, you are lacing every single thing you touch, not only your tithes, but if you create products, if you're cutting other people down in industry every single solitary thing that your overarching company corporation touches is laced with that filth, for lack of a better word. And it's so much more important to be aware as you're doing and not necessarily why in terms of a thought, but I want to, again, bring it back to feeling that you may not be able to enunciate a thought about it. Like if somebody says to me, how much do you love your kids? Or how do you love your kids? I'd be like, what a stupid question. Why would I even boil that into a thought? It's that same kind of thing, but I think different people are going to approach that, the good or the bad of it. I had periods of my life where I was absolutely 10% of everything, and that means I was even noticing if I found a penny in the parking lot. And then it's like, there's that. Okay, there's a penny. Well, sometimes you feel embarrassed about picking up a penny. All right, if it's a dime, dime maybe. But then it's a quarter, a quarter. I can pick up a quarter and not be embarrassed, but I'm not going to pick up a penny. But what I was actually doing, I was actually doing the tithing, and I literally walked around with a notebook that was writing all of it down, every single thing. Now, do I feel that's right? I got to be honest. I felt it to be just a little bit pathetic, actually, because it's making an intellectual relationship out of something that should be coming from love and feeling. And to me, people need to find that spot for themselves. And maybe they can go through large swaths of their life tithing. Maybe at other times they don't feel, but never let the lack of money stop the service. That's the thing I tell people all the time. I obviously didn't get in this to get rich. And people say, if you won the lottery, what would you do with your life? I was like, well, I mean, we'd travel more as a family. I wouldn't have to worry about the bills. Bills wouldn't be as much of an issue, but I'd still be doing the same thing. I would just fund all this. I'd be writing more books. I'd be putting more support materials out. Aramac Healing Store or something like that. I've got all kinds of amazing things I'd like to bring to the world that through my One Breath of Life Foundation, which is all about reminding people, it's all about this breath now. And it's also the realization that I'm breathing the same air you're breathing. There's really only one breath if you look at it deeply enough and creating an organization that still has to grow to remind people, hey, not even that we're all in this together, but we're literally one single body. Want to be mature enough to honor that or not? You're racist, but you're breathing in, I'm going to be blunt, you're breathing in their flatulence. Let's be blunt here. It's on your tongue, okay? And you're telling me you're racist. And all DNA traces back to dark skin, Central African cradle of life. So it's like Hitler, and they analyzed his DNA after they kept it from the bunker for decades, and they analyzed it. One of his main central ethnicities, he was Jewish. There's the cosmic—it's not a belly laugh in a fun way, but it's the cosmic belly laugh. So I just do what I can to stay humble, and I get it that people are threatened by it, but I realize— it's hard not to take personally, especially when they attack me personally. But I do realize that forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They don't even know what they know in most cases. But the culture doesn't support knowing. It supports feeding the beast in a lot of ways. So,
1: anyway. Amen. Listen, Reverend, (laughs) I just appreciate the time. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm grateful that you were willing to be a guest here on Upthinking Finance. And I'll just look forward to staying connected to you and doing what we can to help with the work because I think it matters. And my friend Alex Crane I brought up earlier, we talk a lot about the whys behind what we're doing. He speaks out geopolitically. He's got a lot of views that don't resonate, but they resonate with certain, with people that are seeking. And I think that's you fall into that same category as just somebody who's called at a time when there is a lot of confusion, a lot of people who just are searching. With an open heart, and I think that's where the blessings, as we always say, the financial stuff, it takes care of itself because the mission is so important. I believe that. So I just appreciate the chance to talk with you, Dale, and thanks for being a guest on Upthinking Finance today.
2: Absolutely. Honored.
0: Emerson Fersh is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC advisor services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from Capital Investment Advisors. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The guest speakers and the companies they represent are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Capital Investment Advisors. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal expert. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal.